All right, Mark 16, if you will, and then we will get started here. Mark 16, make sure we've got everything going. All right, Mark 16. And uh, we're down in verse 15 and 16 where we've been. Uh, we'll, actually, we've been in verse 16, but we'll read verse 15. Uh, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And uh, we, we, again, verse 15, just to kind of remind ourselves here, he said unto them, Go ye, and the ye there is the little flock, the believing remnant of Israel, uh, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the gospel here is the gospel of the kingdom. In Acts, it is referred to as the gospel of the circumcision. And it's the fact that now salvation is going to go out to all of the creatures, all of the world, through the nation of Israel, specifically the believing remnant. So here in Mark 16, we have an expansion of their message and their ministry. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Lord's earthly ministry, we ha it's narrow. Lost sheep of the house of Israel, period. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the Abrahamic covenant is going to flow out to all of the families of the earth through the nation of Israel, through Abraham's seed. So now, here we are. By the way, we are on the night of the resurrection. This is Sunday evening. He resurrected Sunday morning, Sunday evening. He sits with the apostles. And he begins to give them this, okay, I'm going to leave now. By the way, verse 19 and 20, he ascends out. We know from Acts and Luke that some time is involved between verse 18 and verse 19. We know at least 40 days is there. So Mark isn't looking at all those details. Mark's looking at, here's the Lord as the servant. Now he's suffered as the suffering servant. Now he's going to be ascended and taken out. So it's a, Mark is a quick, quick, boom, boom, and off we go. So now the expanded from not just Israel, but now we're going to go to every creature. Luke 24, beginning at Jerusalem, Acts 1, beginning at Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the little flock has been gathered together. They're being led by the 12 apostles. Now they're going to go out into this expanded ministry. And again, this is going to go, the, the, blood, the salvation of God is going to go through Israel out to the world, to the, all the families of the earth. Then in verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And the issue here is, on, that's the, what is called the proposition of the gospel of the kingdom. If you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved. If you believe not, you'll be damned. Okay? The proposition, that sit, the, the issue that sits on both sides is the issue of believing. It's the issue of faith. And regardless of whether you are baptized or not isn't the issue. The issue that starts that is the issue of faith. And we talked about that last time. Faith is the, is the central issue on both sides. And obviously, when he says, he that believeth, well, what's the believer going to do? Be baptized. If you don't believe, what are you not going to, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to be damned. So there's more 
to this than just believing and being baptized. Now, we talked about being bap- what the water baptism issue is. And baptism is very important in Israel's ministry and message and gospel and part of their salvation package, if you will. There's a, we're going to talk about salvation because he says, and be saved. And when we talk about that, we're talking about a package issue here, not just a single thing. Now, water baptism is the door into the little flock. The porter, John 10, the porter is John the Baptist. He opens the door. The door is, is water baptism. And the Lord, that's why the Lord is baptized of John. So he, he, he shows the way into the little flock. He identifies himself with the little flock. And he identifies himself there. And in and again, what, what is water baptism really all about? Well, for Israel, what are they to be ultimately? Priest, a kingdom of priests. And in Exodus uh, 29, we spent a lot of time back there last time, we saw that there are three things that happen in order to be in the priesthood. First, there's going to be the washing of water. There's water baptism. Second, there's an anointing of the oil. There's Acts 2, the Holy Spirit, okay? And then there's a sprinkling with blood, and that's going to be the second coming and then the proposition of the new covenant being established in them. So the first issue is that issue of being water baptized, the cleansing. Uh, Ezekiel 36 there, he says, I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water, and I'm going to cleanse you from your idolatry and from your sins, and, and what water baptism is, is a, it's a ceremony. That, it's a ceremony of separation, of cleaning, of purification, where they're going to they're, they're gonna set them, they're going to separate themselves away from that apostate nation, from the vain religious system. Okay, yes, sir. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, it is. Romans eleven eleven to provoke Israel to jealousy. That's why Paul baptized. That's a simple answer. So what what is happening in First Corinthians one is as water baptism is being used as a as a dividing point amongst the Corinthians in their improper thinking process. Some will say, I was baptized here. Others says here. Others says there. And Paul says, I wasn't sent to do any of that. Verse 17, I was sent to preach the gospel. But he baptizes because of Romans 11, 11, the provoking Israel to jealousy. So that when Israel would see a Gentile be water baptized, they, a Jew would say, wait a minute, what, why is he being baptized? And Paul would say, glad you asked, and here's why. And there's, it's a, 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 a provoking, so he can then educate them and bring them up, bring them along. Okay? All right. So water baptism, again, it's the door into the little flock. If you think about water baptism, think about it as identification. It's an identifying issue. And just like the ark 
as the vessel that saved Noah, eight souls saved by water. What were they? they were on the ark. Well, that's what the little flock's going to do, is be that vessel that's going to save them from the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the 70th week of Daniel. And how do you get into the little flock? It's by the door, which is water baptism. Then the second issue, again, is that anointing with oil. That's Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And then the third issue is that issue of having being sprinkled with blood. And, and that's really, if you come over to Acts 3, it's, it's having the blood applied to them at the second coming. It's a component of the new covenant. In Acts 3, verse 19, Peter says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Now, so that's the sprinkling of the blood. When? When's that going to happen? The time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's his second coming. That's the establishment of the new covenant. So when you come back to Mark 16, 16, the cleaning of the nation, it begins with, it begins the, 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 form, the little flock is gathered together. They've all come through the door of water baptism. But in verse 16, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Okay? So now what happens then is people begin to make up theology issues. And they say, see, in order, in, in, in order, to, be, in order to be saved, and, all, and we're going to talk about it, but in order to be saved from what? See, that's the question because when you think about salvation in Scripture, we, we have to be very careful when we talk about it that we don't talk about it in the, in the manner that we are saved today in the age of grace. We have to look at it and how they and what they're talking about. A majority of the time in your Old Testament, in time past, when it talks about being saved, by the way, dictionary definition, rescued from harm or ill will, and then there's a whole list of bad things, okay? It's just being rescued from, from danger. But when you, most of the time, a majority of the time in the Old Testament, in time past, when he talks about being saved, he's talking about being saved from a physical issue, okay? It's not being saved unto eternal life. That's justified. So again, verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In order be, to be saved from the coming wrath and the coming judgment, you have to be a part of what? That believing remnant, the little flock. Or don't believe, and then what happens? You're damned. There's hell and the lake of fire. And we'll talk about damnation next week, okay? Because <laughs> we're going to get, in order to be done within the hour on this, we've got to get going, all right? What happens is, is no matter what you do, Without believing, nothing else, it doesn't matter. So if you don't believe and yet you're water baptized, guess what? You're damned. That's what verse 16 is telling you. Belief, faith, faith has to be involved in the equation here. No faith, again, it doesn't matter what you do. Faith has to be the source of everything that they do. 
Why would they be water baptized? Because their faith in the word of God to them says what? You're to be a holy a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're going to be what? Water baptized because that's item number one on the priesthood identification list. So the issue of baptism, and again, it, we hear people say, well, water baptism is Jewish. No, it's not. It's kingdom. Look at verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So who's believing here? The world. The, all the creatures, out, the Gentiles out there. So water baptism, yes, it belongs to the Jews, Israel, but it's also now going to be applicable to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are to be baptized. Why? Because they are in the same spiritual condition as Israel is in that they're under satanic captivity. They've got sin issue. That's why it's called the baptism for the remission of sins. When does Israel have her, yea, and, and uh, all Israel shall be saved? That's into the kingdom. When, does, when are they doing this past? Out there in the, in, the, in the tribulation period specifically, Matthew 28, same, going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in the kingdom, because the Gentiles need to be cleansed too from the satanic captivity and from their their sin as well in Israel's program. So when we talk about salvation and what's happening here, the, the issue of baptism for Israel, Deuteronomy 4, Moses says, I gave you the commandments, I gave you all, that. we're going to look at it in, in a little bit here about the law. And he says, so that when the other nations look over, they can see what it is to have God as their God. So he does it for Israel. He, he demonstrates it in Israel to show the Gentiles what it is to have Jehovah be their God. What is it to have? Here's what it looks like to have God as the God of your nation. Here's what it is demonstrating. And it's, he's putting on display here the, the liberty and the redemption for everyone. And it's wa water baptism, but it's connected with the kingdom. And it's for everybody. So if you can think about that and remember what we did two weeks ago about baptism, it, it's, it's not, it is Jewish, but it's really more than that. It's kingdom. It's for everybody. It's not just hammered in. Now, verse 16, the reason this verse becomes a problem is this issue of he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And in how we think about salvation in Israel's program in time past. When we come into when you come to understand your Bible dispensationally, rightly divided, there are terminology terms that get tossed around that we have to be very careful with when we define them, okay? Take Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves, it is the what? 
the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet, what is Peter telling Cornelius in Acts 10 to go do? Works of righteousness. So we go, wait a minute. Well, we understand rightly divided that we got two different conversations and two different programs and so forth. But what did we, we have language, salvation, terminology that can become very confusing when we don't ap rightly apply the where we're at and what we're reading, okay? Salvation in time past, which is where we're at, by the way, in Mark 16 here, can be very confusing because people in time past are saved differently than they are today in the age of grace because salvation in time past is being used in a different tense, in a different phase, okay? When you use that word salvation, you have to be very careful that you're paying attention to the phase of salvation that's being discussed. Otherwise, you can get all messed up. You can kind of get it all jumbled up. So you've got three phases in salvation. You've got past, present, and future. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Okay. Initial salvation. That's our justification unto eternal life. Okay. So if we want to be terminology clear, we would say salvation unto eternal life. We just honed it down to what? You're a sinner, the shed blood, faith in the shed blood, boom, you're good. By the way, that is the only way anyone in history from Genesis to Revelation is justified unto eternal life. It's faith and faith alone in the redemptive plan set before them by God. Okay? Nothing else. Then you have present salvation. We call that sanctification. Right here, right now. Present, practical, experiential, right now. And then we have the future salvation tense phase, which is the issue of glorification. That's that future out there. Israel has all three phases. We have all three phases. So we have to be very careful where we're reading about and looking at. So when we're talking about, uh, come over to Romans 5. I'll illustrate these for you just so you can see them. Romans 5. When we talk about phase one and we're talking about justification unto eternal life, okay? Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore being... I love that. Therefore, being, you be, this is who you be, being, justified by how? By faith. That is a one-time, moment-in-time transaction between you and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's, it's initial salvation. It's faith alone. Justif justification and eternal life at that moment, boom, done. That's how that, that's how that initial salvation works. When God justifies you, he declares you to be righteous. And because he declares you to be righteous, now he can give you eternal life. So from the moment of justification all the way out to 
the resurrection, the rapture, now we're in phase two, that sanctification. So I wasn't going to mess up my board. So here's the moment of initial. This is phase one. We're going to come out here to the end. Here's resurrection. This is phase number two. This is sanctification. Okay? Look, if you will, verse one. Being therefore, therefore being justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The results of your justification is peace with God. Verse 2, here's phase 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay? So in the details of life now, on a daily basis, I have access into this identity that I gained back here, back at Calvary. I have access to it. I, this, is a, this is a present situation. This is the past. One time, it's done. I don't go back. I don't revisit. That's why the New Bible, when it says, therefore, you are being saved. No, I be saved. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I don't need to re... Now, in the present, I have access into this grace wherein we stand. Then, verse 3, and not only so. By the way, verse 2, I didn't finish it. Into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, we're going to start doing by what? Rejoicing in hope. Verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing the tribulation work with patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. So we start in hope, and we end in hope. Isn't that interesting? We begin our life in hope, rejoicing in hope, and we end it over here in hope. And the hope issue, again, if you think about tribulation, life happens. <laughs> it just, you know... I got up the other morning and went to start my old truck, and it's deader than a deader than a dead, you know. As the lady at AutoZone said, your battery, it's a diehard. It died hard. <laughs> so 240 bucks later for a new battery, which was the cheap one, you know. Can you imagine 200 and something dollars for the cheapest battery in the lit? Anyway. Yeah, Jesus, right. So... I go back and guess what it did? It cranked up. But life happens. It's common to man. But yet, think about that. Life happens. It's common to man. God, does, God doesn't make... It's wonderful to know that God's not mad at you. Okay? I have peace with him. Life happens. He, God doesn't tell you and I that he's going to change your circumstances. But rather, he teaches us that he will change your attitude about your circumstances. Life happens. Happens to everybody. But how do I work down through it? See, So tribulation happens. But then patience. Tribulation worketh. Patience is that issue of just sticking with the book, sticking with the verses, sticking with the doctrine. Stick with it. 
get, get out of God's word the answer to the issues and stick with it. But then ex- patience works experience. Experience is maturity. It's growth. It's I was here, but now I'm here. And now I'm here. I'm moving. I'm growing. And then hope, again, back to where we are, full circle, where we came, when we, where we, when we come into an appreciation of God's love for us, that's what verse 5, and hope make us not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts of the Holy Ghost which is given unto us, and there we are. See, So the circumstances of life are designed to bring us closer to who we are in Christ. That's the process of salvation. All of this is salvation. That's what we're talking about. This saves me from the penalty of sin. This is going to save me from the power of sin. And then the third, we call that glorification, is the presence of sin. I might might have messed those two. I think that's what I did. Okay? So what am I doing? Now I'm moving into the future. So so salvation in Scripture, for you and really for everybody, is in three phases. So when we think about salvation, he that believeth and is baptized is saved. Then we have to remember what we're talking about because when we talk about Israel, and time past, which is where we're at in Mark 16. It is not always talking about justification unto eternal life. A majority of the time, it is talking about phase two and phase three. Mark 16 is talking about phase two and phase three. Okay? So when you think about this, again, for us, By the way, for us, it starts with the spiritual issue, and it ends with us getting the only physical issue resolved. But for Israel, it doesn't start here. It starts here in the physical. It's very interesting. And so you've got to pay attention to what's... And and again, it's critical to, to grasp that when we talk here about Israel and so forth, then we see that it's really beginning to discuss just the physical salvation from the wrath of God and the judgment of God, but it's that physical salvation into their kingdom. And it isn't always the issue of justification unto eternal life, okay? Now, I will also say this so you can begin to think this through. The law was never given to give anyone eternal life, okay? The law, so we're going to do an Israel line, okay? Can I do that? This is a body line, all right? We're working on the body. Here's Israel line. The law and the kingdom sit over here in phase two and phase three. I'll just put us up here so we have it. In phase one is the Abrahamic covenant, and we'll see that as we go. But if you remember that the law was never given to anyone to gain eternal life. It was rather a phase two, a sanctification issue. And the reason for that is 
is because as that holy nation, that royal priesthood, they needed to know how to function, how to live, how to operate, how to worship, how to do everything that God has asked them, that that nation, a nation needs rules and guidelines. And that's what they're doing here as that nation, God's nation, so the law comes in and, and orchestrates that and regulates that. So go back to Mark 16. Well, get Acts 2 and Mark 16. And then we'll get Isaiah and Ephesians and Philippians and all the other ones. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, this is about a future salvation for that nation. It starts with, in, again, in Mark 1, he starts there. John, verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, if you come over to Acts 2, and just notice how Peter now is going to work under the commission of Mark 16. Acts 2, verse 30. Well, verse 37, now when they heard this, okay, so what did they hear? They heard that they had just with wicked hands crucified the Messiah. He was buried, he rose again, and in his resurrection now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's sitting until it's time to make his foes his footstool and for him to stand up and come back, and that he is the Lord and Christ. They hear this, they were pricked in their hearts, said unto Peter to the, to the, and, and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what are we doing? What water baptism is all about? The repentance and the remissions of sins. Now look at verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, now watch, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now think about that. Save yourselves in what manner? Not unto eternal life. They can't do that. Save themselves how? In, this, in the moment, by the way, this nation, he calls them an untoward generation. That's the apostate nation. See, that's in the moment. That's a right now, in the moment. Untoward. If I'm going toward, I'm going the right way. Untoward, I'd be going what? The wrong way. They're going the wrong way. Save yourself. Now, how do they save themselves? By being water baptized and joining the little flock, doing what OJB told them to do. John the Baptist told them to. That's why John the Baptist starts with calling out the little flock. That's why the Lord comes in and he sets the 12 apostles in, in authority to organize a little flock. Then he commissions that little flock that in my absence, you're going to go out there and build it up, the Acts ministry. But again, save yourself. How? Not this way unto eternal life, but rather here in phase two. Now, come over to Luke 11. And just kind of see this 
here as we go through it. Luke 11. Luke 11 and verse 45. Luke eleven forty five. So here, then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus, uh, Master, thus say, saying, Thou reproachest us also. Now, the lawyers here, those are the religious guys that are all about the law of Mo, the Mosaic law. Okay, it's not the lawyer down at the courthouse. Okay, they 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 study the Mosaic law. They apply the Mosaic law. Verse forty six. And he, that's the Lord, said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens which one of with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye Build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. Again, he's ta- you're the ones out applying the Mosaic law, and you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're killing off the guys who are, you know. Now watch verse 49. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. That the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. Now, that generation is Acts 2 there in verse 40 when he said untoward generation. Same group of people. Verse 51, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. So that's Genesis 4 all the way to 2 Chronicles 24. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. That's this issue here of this untoward generation. And again, generation, generate. It's more than just an age. Actually, it's very rarely used by the Lord as an age issue. He looks at the leaders of Israel and says, John, uh, John 8, you have your father, the devil. Who generated these guys? The devil did. The, the apostate, the captivity, the vain religious system. Back in Jeremiah 44, they're worshiping the queen of heaven some six, 700 years before Christ. There they are. And they're doing it. And he's like, that's who you belong to. Now, go to Matthew 3. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew 3, and look at verse, well, here's John the Baptist, verse 3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So here's John the Baptist, he's out ministering, verse 6, and we're, uh, verse 5, Then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the regions round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. So he's out baptizing them. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generations of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Think about this. They're out, verse 8, bringing forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. He looks over there and he goes, who warned you guys, you generation of vipers, who's the vipers, serpent, there's the adversary, there's the devil, 
Who, flee, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The 70th week of Daniel. It's coming. Who, flee, who told you? By the way, when John says wrath, he, he means wrath, the wrath of God, not the wrath of men, not the wrath of the devil, the wrath of God. And he's like, hey, again, right where Mark 16 is, save yourself from what? From the pending wrath. Verse 8, we got to bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. There's work. There's a lifestyle that Israel, true little flock, believing remnant, has to produce to, to then establish the kingdom, to come in and to do what needs to be done for that nation, to be the royal priesthood. Verse 10, and now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. There he is. What's he going to do? Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat, there's the believing remnant, into the garner, the kingdom, and he will burn up the chaff, the unbelieving Israel, with unquenchable fire. What's he doing? The little flock here, they've come. If you're not little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Matthew 21, he just told the Pharisees, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm giving it to a nation, that little flock, that believing remnant. By the way, in Matthew 21, 45, they perceive he's talking about them. They're not clueless. And he says, Luke 12, fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so what are we going to do? That little flock's going to go out there. They're going to bring in, they're going to have fruits that are the fruit of the kingdom. He's got the 12 apostles established in the 12 thrones. The government is established. They're the leaders of that holy nation. And then the baptism, verse 11, of the Holy Ghost, of water, the Holy Ghost, and fire is that identification mark. And the first steps of identification for Israel, for that believing remnant, is that issue of water baptism getting cleaned up and moving in. And that fire is the issue of purging the rebel out of the nation, cleaning out the draws. So Peter, in Acts 2, save yourself, he's talking about a future time when the wrath of God is going to be poured out, the 70th week of Daniel, so salvation here in Acts 2 is a physical salvation into their future glorification of the kingdom. Okay, now come over to Galatians 3. So again, when you... Israel's package deal, if you will, isn't always just unto eternal life. They're going to get that through the Abrahamic covenant. We'll see that here in just a minute. But it's this issue of, hey, we've got some things here we're going to get saved out of. We're going to get rescued from wrath, and we're going to get rescued into the kingdom. So a Jew always thought about his salvation in that future kingdom, physical, literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. Okay? Now look at Galatians 3. So let's talk about this law thing here. By the way, the basis of all this is that issue of faith. 
That's what's running all of it. Because faith will tell the believer that I've got to be water baptized, John's baptism, and I've got to come over here and I've got to sell all that I have, lay it at Peter's feet. Don't, you, well, you can, you don't, no, don't do it to me, okay? Because then in two weeks you'll be over here going, I'm hungry, I'm destitute, and I'm homeless, you know? And then I'll have to give it all back to you, okay? But Peter had it. Sell it, come and do. Why are they doing all of that? Well, because there are literal, physical works that they have to do that's designed in establishing that kingdom. The law never was given to provide eternal life for anyone. It was given to provide the sanctification process for the believer in Israel, Galatians 3. And this is where the trouble comes in in the terminology. Because most will say that in time past they are saved by faith plus works. That is wrong. Okay? Because what they, what they, they get, faith plus works is not the issue of justification unto eternal life. It's the issue of phase two, sanctification. Okay, The issue of justification unto eternal life is faith alone. And whatever the word is to them, it's that. When God told Noah to build the ark, and Noah believed God, and he's a preacher of righteousness, what did Noah believe God about? Judgment is coming. It's coming in the form of rain. Could you imagine some, the Lord telling you rain, and you don't know what rain is? Because Noah didn't know what rain was, but he believed God was going to do what? Judge man. So then he had faith that that's what was going to happen. And then his faith, that's initial. Now for 120 years, what does he do? He builds an ark for the rescuing of his family and the animal kingdom that the Lord was going to do to a future deal. In the, follow that? So it's not... So when people say faith plus works, usually they are talking about that initial justification unto eternal life, and that isn't the issue. Initial salvation is always a personal, it's justification. It's a personal gaining of eternal life, not in this big. Look at Galatians 3, verse 17. And this I say that the covenant was confirmed before of God in Christ. The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So he's talking about the Abraham, the, the, he's talking here about the Abrahamic covenant, but the promise is Genesis 3.15, the promise of the seed of the woman. So the promise of the seed of the woman but then he makes a contractual promise with Abraham, okay? So you've got the promise, the seed of the woman's going to destroy the seed of the adversary. But then with Abraham, he makes a covenant promise. Verse 18, for if the inheritance be of the law, now watch, it is no more of promise. Because what is, the, by the way, what does the law say? You, you perform, you get blessed. If you don't perform, you get cursed. 
What did Abra- Romans 4, what did Abraham find out about, the, about his flesh? It ain't going to get it done. Keep reading. For it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. The promise is a gift. The promise was given to Abraham as a free gift from God. I got a promise. Now what do I do? You you promised me something. What do I do? I just sit and wait. I can't. You promised me to pay off my house. You promised me. I have to sit and wait. There's nothing I can. It's going to be a gift. I have to wait for it. Verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? What's the issue about the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till, so we've got a timing issue, it's a temporary thing, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, that means the law didn't give life. The law condemns. Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto, unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Now think about what we're reading here. Okay? The law... Which, it, if the law could have given life, then it would have. But it can't. So the giving of, law, of the law was never for the purpose of giving and providing eternal life for anybody. Now go back to Genesis 17. Because the Abrahamic covenant comes into play in this. And you have to think about this because the Abrahamic covenant has some things in it that the law is going to come up and fortify. Genesis 17. Again, in verse 3, 4, and 5, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Verse 6. And I will make thee exceedingly, uh, exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So if it is an everlasting covenant and an everlasting possession, then what does Abraham understand that he has? Everlasting life, eternal life. I'm giving it to you and to your seed after you. See? So the, one of the fundamental components of the Abrahamic covenant is this issue of eternal life. You follow? Okay. Now come to chapter 15. Inherent. In 
the covenant with Abraham, he's, by the way, he's going to go give them the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision, okay? Inherent in that promise is resurrection, is eternal life. In Genesis 22, when Abraham takes Isaac up on the, on the, up on the hill to, to sacrifice him, he tells the guys at the foot, the lad and I will go and return. What does Abraham know? Isaac's the seed. If I go kill him, the Lord has to resurrect him because he's the seed. He's the promise. So resurrection life is there. Now watch Genesis 15. By the way, verse 6, and he believed the, the, in the Lord and he counted it for him to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe the Lord about? You're going to have a seed. You're going to have a son. 15.6 is Abraham's justification unto eternal life. Now watch verse 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, and off you go. Now think about what Abraham's learning here. His seed is going to go down, and for 400 years they're going to be down there, but yet he just was promised, chapter 17, that everlasting covenant, that everlasting possession. So what does Abraham know that's got to happen to him? Resurrected in. Inherent in the Abrahamic covenant is eternal life. But it is connected with Abraham's seed getting the land. And when, where do they get that? Go back there to Genesis 17, verse 8. They're going to have that land for an everlasting possession, and that's in that kingdom. Verse uh, 8. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Again. To have Jehovah as your God means you have what? Everlasting life. Because what did he just promise them? He just promised them everlasting covenant, everlasting possession, and thy and thy seed. You see how he says that in verse 7? And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed. Verse 8, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land. What Abraham's getting it, he knows it, and but yet what is he doing? He's, he's going to have to be resurrected. So the Abrahamic covenant, the promise is not just getting the land, but it's getting that land forever. That means there's resurrection. That's why for Israel, eternal life focuses in that kingdom. Because it's in the kingdom when they're in the land. They, don't, they would never say, I'm going to die and go to heaven. Job says, I'm going to die, the worms are going to eat my body, and I'm going to see my Savior right here on the earth. They never look to do 
So their idea of et- their thinking about eternal life is when are you going to restore that kingdom again and when are you putting us in the land because that's when we get it. But this is a physical thing here. Come over to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just for... You see, eternal life for Israel was being resurrected into the kingdom. Never, Deuteronomy 4, never to think about it in any other way. So again, in time past, the way that they got eternal life, again, not by the law. The law gives them the regulations. Uh, you got Deuteronomy. Hold on to there and run back to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. You see, they've, the law, they, they get eternal life through the promise, Exodus 20, through the covenant with Abraham. And by the way, what does circumcision do? If you're not circumcised, you're what? You're cut off. You're not my people. You're, you're on the wrong side. Circumcised, you're on the, That's why that eighth day that, child, that male child had to be circumcised. What is that circumcision? It's an I, They're literally born into this situation. See, you and I aren't. We have to do what? We have to be, we have to be saved from our sins, and then we get eternal life. They got it right just by being born into it. See, Exodus twenty. Look at verse twelve. You got the Ten Commandments. He says, "Honor thy father and thy mother." that the days may be long, now watch, upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? Everlasting covenant, everlasting possession of the land. The nation functioning properly in that land forever. Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. Again, the purpose of the law was so that that nation knew how to function properly in in the capacity that God has created that nation to function in. And in order for that nation to, to, again, he's given them life to function, he gave them the law. That's why God teaches Adam the law. That's why he takes Noah and teaches him the law, the sacrifices, and everything. That's why Abraham understands the law and the order of Mel- the priesthood of Melchizedek and all of that. Joshua, or, I'm sorry, Jacob, Isaac, the law. It isn't that it isn't the Mosaic law. It's the law of God. Why? Because that law is designed to func- to save them in the moment that they're living. To get them over into that phase three, which is for them the kingdom. Now, when Moses showed up and he gives them the law, by the way, he gives them the Ten Commandments. He's already taught Adam that. He already taught Noah that. He already taught Abel all that. Now it's an if and then. Now we have a contract. Now that law has become a contractual agreement. Now, Deuteronomy 4. If you look here at verse 1, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live, 
and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Why keep the law? So they can go live. They can function and, and perform sanctification, phase two. Future glorification, phase three. Verse two. Ye shall not add unto, unto, the word, uh, unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Behold... I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye do so, that ye should do so in the land, whether ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what nation? And then he just goes off on them. Look down at verse 12. Verse 12, and the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire, and ye heard, oh, I'm sorry, that's Genesis 17, the issue of circumcision, okay, in my notes. Sorry, I've read that wrong, all right? Come over to Matthew. The point is, is the law wasn't designed to save them to eternal life. They get that in the Abrahamic covenant agreement. The law was designed to teach them how to live and how to perform it and, and administer the kingdom. In Matthew, what does Jesus, remember Matthew 1, 21? And ye shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. His people need their, to be saved from their sins. How, do, how does that happen? The new covenant. See, the, there's going to be a new covenant established where he's going to come in and do for them what they can't do for themselves because they're sons of Adam. So he's going to come in and he's going to cause them to be able to walk and to go and so forth. By the way, go back to Galatians 3. I'm just trying to see the clock ticking and I got eight more pages of notes. Oh, we, I'm just kidding. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Some will say that, well, the Old Testament saint, the Old Testament believer looked forward to Calvary. And that's how they were justified. Do you know that, that there's not a verse in Scripture that says that? There, that's actually just a way of trying to get around what we're looking at because they don't understand, because they fail to recognize the three phases of salvation. In Luke 18, the Lord tells them, I'm going to go die and be buried and rose again. And they say, nope, not so, Lord. They don't understand him. Three times he tells them. And no, no, and no. They never look forward to it. The only reason why we know anything is Galatians 3 and verse 23. No one ever looked forward to Calvary. for their justification unto eternal life. No one ever taught or thought about justification by faith alone. 
until Paul shows up and tells us that's how it's been. Galatians 3, verse, 20, uh, verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Nothing sh- shut up, locked up. We couldn't, the law was the only thing we knew to do. By the way, the faith. See that, unto the faith. The faith, that's a set of doctrine, that's a set of truth revealed by the Apostle Paul. Come back to, with me to Romans chapter 3. You see, you, ha- you have to think about this, Romans 3, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So everybody says, see, it's always been that way. But what about verse 21, 321? But now the law of, I'm sorry, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law. You see, there was a time when the righteousness of God was manifested by the law. See, so you got to be careful. But we just saw how, how was that issue being used back here? Not justification unto eternal life, but rather what? sanctification, and the glorification. So if you look at verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So in time past, who was looking forward to Calvary coming? God the Father was. See, he's the one that placed his... God the Father was. Why? Because he's the only one who knew it was coming. Knew not the event, but what it meant, what it means, and what it works out to be. Verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and a justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So what my point is, is don't take what we know and understand, and read it back into them, because they didn't know this. They didn't understand it. It was kept the secret. Then it was revealed. So don't take, go back to Mark 16, don't take our salvation package, if you will, and apply it to Israel in the time past. Understand Mark 16, 16, the, the He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, is saved not unto eternal life, but rather he's talking about being saved, again, separated from that untoward generation, moved, placed into the little flock, who will then go through that 70th week successfully and inherit the kingdom who will then get the gift of eternal life out here as that everlasting possession. Because where are they? They're in the kingdom and they're in the, uh, in the land. So they have a different focus, different viewpoint on that issue of salvation. Not justification unto eternal life, but rather over here in a physical manner. Okay? Now, real quick. 
run back to Deuteronomy 6 because I just, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we're going to beat a dead horse. Look at Deuteronomy 6 and verse 23. Because I, 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 in time past, you've got to think about this a certain way, a very careful manner. 6.23, Deuteronomy. And he brought us out from thence. So he's redeemed us out of Egypt. That he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. All right? So he, he redeems us out of Egypt. Do you remember what, Mo, what Moses says to Israel on the banks of the Red Sea? He says, see your salvation. What did they see? That's not a spiritual thing. That's a physical thing. He see, they just saw the death angel, the blood, okay, on the doorpost. They saw it. And now they're going to see the power of God as he takes Egypt or the Pharaoh and his soldiers and drown them. So it, Moses stands there and says, Israel, see your salvation. You're saved by power and by blood. Watch it happen. That's not a salvation unto eternal life. That's a physical salvation in the moment. Now, verse 24, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord God, the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. Now, he's not talking about them doing something to gain eternal life. The righteousness here, and it shall be our righteousness, isn't getting an acceptance unto eternal life, it's what? Our righteousness, you know what we'll be? We'll be that holy nation, that righteous nation, that royal priesthood, and what do we get when we're that? We get the kingdom and we get the land. You follow that? See, the, so because what happens is, is people read that our righteousness and they go, woohoo, see, eternal life, you know, knee jerk, and not, no. We're over here, okay? Come over to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. You see, when he says their righteousness there, it's not unto eternal life. It's that holy, that righteous nation who's going to be bringing forth the fruits necessary to establish that kingdom. So he's talking about executing their sanctification in the moment. Isaiah 26, look at verse 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. So this is in the kingdom. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Salvation, this is Romans eleven twenty six. so all Israel shall be saved. This is the new covenant is applied. All, all, the little flock is into the kingdom. 
Verse 3. Open, or verse 2, open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. There they are. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high. The lofty city, he layeth it low. He layeth it low even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, even the foot of the poor and the steps of the needy. The lofty city there in verse 5 is Babylon. What's he talking about? See, salvation is is the... Salvation will God appoint for what? He's talking about physical salvation. A physical city, a physical issue. Again, Moses, physical, boom. Come over to chapter 33 of Isaiah. Isaiah 33, verse 10. Isaiah 33, 10. How will I rise, saith the Lord? Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. All that physical You see that, I will rise, I will lift up myself. Acts 7, what does Stephen see the Lord doing? Standing, that's where we're at, right here. It's Isaiah 33. Ye shall conceive chaff, ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. Ye shall, and the people shall be as the burnings of lime. As thorns cut up, shall they be burned in the fire. There's that untoward generation. Hear ye that are afar off, that is not you and I. That's that scattered Israel. What I have, that little flock. What I have done, and ye that are near, acknowledge my might. Now watch verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Now watch the question. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? That's Matthew 3, 11 and 12. He's going to baptize you with fire. He's going to come in and burn up and clean it all out. Verse 15, here's the answer. He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. There's the little flock who's doing what? The fruits meet for repentance. The fruits designed to bring in the kingdom. What are they doing? He that despises the gain of the oppression, that shaketh his hand from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the 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 munitions of rocks, bread shall be given him, and his water shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king and his beauty. There's the kingdom. They shall behold the land that is a very far off. All of this is tribulation time and setting. All of it is a physical salvation through the tribulation and into the kingdom. Verse 22 for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Thy tacklings are loose, they could not well strengthen their mass, they could not spread the sail, even, I'm sorry, then is the prey of the great spoiled divided. 
the lame take the prey. The inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. The, little, the new covenant is established. The little flock is in place. And that's exactly where Mark 16, 16 comes in. So all of that, an hour now, salvation for Israel is a majority of the time sits on a physical issue, not eternal life. They've got that through the Abrahamic covenant because they are the sons of Abraham. It's be, now we're going to go here. So in Mark 16, 16, by the way, we'll get down in verse 17 in about a month and a half, <laughs> seems like. What are they doing? They got some signs that are going to follow them that believe. And you know what those signs are? Physical in nature. Drink the deadly thing, handle the serpents, do all this. All of that designed to get them through the tribulation period of time. Now, next week, we'll look at that issue of damnation. Because, again, that, the, the, 16, 16 is a troubled verse. Because that right there, the Abrahamic covenant... Because we have this untoward generation. We have an apostate set of Jews. We have an unbelief. Remember Luke? They justified God being baptized of John, the publicans and the sinners. But the lawyers and the Pharisees and the leaders, they don't justify God by what? Not being baptized. So what about those guys? And there's the damned. That's why it says, he that believeth not and he that believeth not shall be damned. The issue of faith is that dividing line. And we'll look at all that next time, okay? Because the question comes up, well, if they have eternal life because they're Abraham's seed, then it doesn't, what, none of this matters. But it does because there's a faith issue. And we'll, we'll get into all that. Otherwise, we'll be here another two hours, okay? And I won't do that to you. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the instructions and, and, and the look into the hope of the little flock and the believing remnant of that coming kingdom and the fact that their focus in on their salvation is that because that's where they realize eternal life. And we thank you that we have as a present possession today in the age of grace our eternal life secure and our identity and you secure and our place and position secure and we appreciate that we thank you for that in your name we pray amen